Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday morning messages are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, enjoy the message. We're in a series in those days, and I'm going to get to part three here in just a moment. But just to mention that every year we like to take up an offering uh, for those who are needy among our congregation. We were going to do that last Sunday, because, but because of the weather, we've, we've had to put that off till this Sunday. And so we're going to go ahead and just do all that at the same time. So at the end of the service, we're going to take up an offering that will be specifically uh, given to those who we, the elders and deacons have been able to... Uh, 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 discover and designate uh, for that offering. So it all will go to them, and we consider this alms to, for the poor. And so our tithes and offerings are used for the ministry of the church. Alms directly go uh, to those who are needy and struggling here, widows, um, families, and whatnot. So we're going to uh, uh, take that up at the end of the service. Also, if you're not prepared for that, no problem. We do have the text to give and the uh, the online giving that you can go. So go to our website, just follow the giving uh, portal there, as well as on the app. You can, uh, we've got a section where that is designated that says Christmas offering. And uh, so go ahead and uh, you can give there. So again, we'll make sure that these folks get that directly as soon as possible, as soon as we compile the, the offering this way. And uh, again, at the end of the service. All right, so last week we got snowed out, which was a bummer, but it was beautiful. I hope you got a chance to enjoy that. And, uh, of course, my Michigan blood was, uh, was enjoying that a little bit, although I kind of got out and said, oh, yeah, that's why I left. You know, that stuff, uh, you don't like it hanging around too long. But uh, anyway, so we, we lost a whole Sunday, but uh, so we're, we're back on track. And if you missed last week, I did do a Facebook Live. And if we, by the way, if we ever do get snowed again throughout the summer, I'm summer, it won't be that, throughout <laughs> the winter, uh, so anyway, if you hear that service is canceled, we will do a Facebook Live, okay? And that is on our regular Facebook, that's our open Facebook, so you don't have to necessarily be a part of our, our uh, group page, but you can access it through the internet. And uh, so give you a heads up on that. So we will do a Facebook Live message on a Sunday if it does get snowed out or inclement weather of any kind. And uh, so we'll let you know about that. Okay, and we did that last Sunday. It worked out well. And uh, so if you missed this past Sunday's message, you can still find it and either on Facebook or uploaded at the app. All of that is there for you. Okay, so we're in part three of the series called In Those Days. And so what we're doing is we're studying the characters, uh, the people in the story. And, uh, and what we're, we're just grabbing... Uh, the truths, the, the, what can we learn from the people in this story? So today we're going to get a little deeper with these, these wise guys, these guys we call the Magi. And so our, the title of our sermon is The Magi, The Calling of the Wise. The Calling of the Wise. <clears throat> you know, wisdom reigns supreme. We know that from Scripture. We know in the book of Proverbs it teaches us, and as Solomon is teaching his own sons, he's saying, look, seek wisdom. And he said, the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. And it's interesting. We make a lot out of intelligence. We make a lot out of IQ points. You know, they you know, get that clickbait on Facebook to go in there and see how smart you are. And if you get up there to immense quality as almost like what three quarters of us do for some reason. I don't know what the deal is with that. But anyway, we, are, we, we celebrate wisdom. We celebrate knowledge. We celebrate information. And so kind of the more you know is kind of the time 
uh, that we live in. But we find that that knowledge is trumped by the fear of the Lord, and it's trumped by wisdom. And wisdom we can find in Scripture. And so you may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but you're the smartest person on the planet if you fear God. And we find that with these men, not only are they wise, but they are they fear God. They, they understand. They see something, and they're drawn to it. And so we're going we're gonna to take from this story and apply it to our lives today. So God is going to re- bring a reward to those who are seekers. And that's who these men are. They're seeking out a sign. They're seeking out something, a gift from God. And if you're hungry, God will most definitely give you what you're seeking. There's a lot of knowledge out there, but the wise still seek Jesus. And if you seek real wisdom, the Bible promises us that we'll find it. And it all comes down to the heart. Are we going to follow the star? In the case of our story, they, they see a star. We're going to get into that as to why that was such a powerful, unique thing. But for us, it's the follow. We've got a star that is shining brightly every single day, and that's the Holy Spirit and the wisdom and the knowledge and the truth that we have sitting in our tables. It's on our phone, the Word of God. We'll look at that. And if we follow the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be disappointed. The enemy will most likely try to co-opt our plans just like the enemy did during the time of our story, but nothing can stop the plans of God or God's plans to use what he has put in you and me. The Magi are noted for not yielding to Herod's and Satan's desire to destroy the work of God, and their wisdom is seen in many more ways than what we first see. So let's start with the story. In Matthew chapter 2, we'll cover our next part of this story, if you'll, you can read along with me, chapter 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Interesting question. We saw his star when it rose and, it came and, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. That's an interesting note. I underlined it for that reason. When he had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written there in Micah. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, but out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So this is a very powerful story, isn't it? What's unique is that throughout history, since this has been written, since it's been 
read and celebrated and, and nativity scenes been created, it's amazing that a large portion of the population of the earth today even think that this is just a myth, that this is a child story that it's just a fantastical story to help Christians celebrate symbolically an event that no one's really sure ever really happened. But yet we know so much more. As a matter of fact, even though this has a feeling of it being a childlike story, there's enough drama, there's enough science to make us actually step back and say, whoa, what's going on here? This isn't just a child's story. As a matter of fact, this is pointing out a very historical event that was extraordinary in every way. Let's take a look at it, because I want to look at and there's so many things I could talk about here, and I can, I can encourage you to do a little more research on it, and there's some wonderful, wonderful uh, resources out there to, to look at this. Perhaps you've already studied it. But when we look at the Magi, let's start with these guys. You know, the legend has always been influenced by the, the fact that they were wise men. And of course, you know, if you're looking there, magi is probably the better word for, to describe these guys because they were coming from the east. Most scholars believe that they were probably Zoroastrians. Now, if you've ever done religion, maybe you took a religion class in school, then you'll know that the Zoroastrianism is one of the more ancient religions that we know of. And this religion was centered around star, studying the stars, or astronomy. The Zoroastrians believed that the gods were all, their story could be told in the stars, and they were partly true. They studied and they worshiped the stars, but they also had secret knowledge. And some of that they derived from what they read in the stars. Other, other things were just things, possibly just dark magic and whatnot. But what is really amazing is that, again, star, our, uh, scholars believe that they were influenced by not only our, one of our guys named Daniel, that Daniel was one of the original magi, one of the original wise men. And not that he was in any way, shape, or form, you know, someone who was not Jewish or not godly. We know that he was above and beyond. But what we see in his life, if we look at it, it makes sense that Daniel was yearning for something. What was Daniel yearning for? Well, if you look at his life, you'll notice that Daniel got a picture of what it was going to be in the last days, didn't he? Matter of fact, we see a, uh, an influence regarding what was called the day of the Lord or the end of days. And in the book of Revelation, we see an incredible amount of parallel from what Daniel was told, what Daniel saw, and what John saw regarding the end days. Now, so what would that do to you? I know what it would do to me. I'd be like, well, when is this going to happen? So you start looking, you start seeking, you start wondering, you start looking up. And Daniel began to discover, indeed, that this whole story was written in the stars, as it is, as it is. And so over time, of course, as Daniel passes away, this, this, this group of men begin to worship knowledge and understanding, but they're still watching the stars. And of course, the tradition is, and we're told, that there were only three based on the gifts that were given. But the truth is there could have been and likely were many more than three. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? If there is this star, this, this, this wonderful sign that is taking place in the heavens, it wouldn't be just three men who see that in one area of, of the east. There is legend that even those in China saw this and did travel east to go see who it was that was being born. Interesting, isn't it? So it would make sense that this would be a global sense, our global uh, 
uh, experience. That people, all of the tribes would have looked up and saw something unique going on. The whole world, it was being announced to the whole world at the time that something wonderful was getting ready to take place. So, so we have these magi. They begin to discover. They begin to see it. And we see that they know that it was a king by the question they asked. They ask the question, so where's the king? They don't start off saying, hey, we've seen the star. Could you explain this to us? No, no, no. They begin with, where is the king? How do they know that? Well, I mean, you can study this, and I won't get into the details of this, but bottom line is the planets and the constellations and all that was coming together at that particular time was telling a story that a king was being birthed, planet Jupiter being birthed out of the center of Virgo was taking place in the sky, and they knew that's what was taking place. That's how they interpreted it. And of course, that is the story. So they come and said, who is the king? Of course, Herod got nervous, right? And, uh, and again, a global movement. And was taking, experts say that the star would have appeared to move. And that's unique. That's another one of those things that would all make us say, well, it's just a child's story. We all know stars don't move in the sky. I mean, it, they don't move. We move. The earth moves. And, and yet, stars, at night, they appear in the exact... We, we count on those stars being in the exact same place, don't we? That's how we navigate. That's how we do what we do. The north star is the pivot point. It doesn't move. And yet we see the shifting and all of that. But it's, it's, it's like clockwork. It's always been that way. But yet these stars, this gathering, this cluster of, of stars and planets appear to be moving in the sky. And it's interesting. The study they've done on this, and matter of fact, NASA got involved... And as they went back in time to look at the historicity of what it would have been, what would have been going on at that time, the cluster was indeed there. And it would have shown up for a period of time, only a short period of time, on the horizon, if you were coming from the east, looking like it was exactly over the top of Bethlehem. Scientifically proven, awesome stuff. Whoa! So we're not just talking about a child's story. We're not talking about stars that just move and dance around in the sky and cause us all to think, oh, well, this couldn't have happened. Huh? No, no, it did happen. The people of Jerusalem, of course, Herod and those in Jerusalem, are affected in a unique way. It wouldn't have been, if they had not known that something that was, was going to happen, then they wouldn't have been what? Fearful. And indeed, they were. Herod... We read, again, reading between the lines, we see he's disturbed. Why would King Herod be disturbed? Well, wouldn't you? Another king has just been born. And even though it's a baby, you're thinking, well, he's got to grow up to become a king. He's not going to supplant me. Well, any king who's hoping to have what? You know, ancestral succession. He's going to, he wants his son to take that throne. And now his whole family line is being threatened by another king who, in his mind, and all the scholars have told him, is from who? David. He's the rightful owner of this throne. Herod doesn't like it, doesn't like it at all. Then it says that the people are a little nervous and disturbed. Why would the people be disturbed? Because people who are not following God get disturbed when they hear about what God is getting ready to do, don't they? And that's the way the gospel works. And that's the way this story works. It's a very defining story. It gets out there, and it's either going to bring rejoicing to you because it's the fragrance of life, or it's going to bring a little shiver down your spine like, oh, is something getting ready to change in history? Is something ready to be disturbed? 
There's parallel here, parallels here, folks, and I'll, I'll share them very quickly. But during that time, every Jew would have known that the, that, that the coming of the Messiah was a part of their story, written in Micah, written in Isaiah, written in the major prophets, something they all would have, but none of them would have ever assumed that it would come in their lifetime. Why? Hundreds of years, hundreds of years have gone by since this promise has been given. Everybody's falling asleep. Everybody's doing what they want to do. Everybody has kind of wandered away from being obedient and, and having a heart for God. So when the truth is preached, when the promise is being told, when there's rumors beginning to flow and go throughout the people, you're either going to get excited or you're going to get a little disturbed. Not like, unlike our times, folks. Interesting, isn't it? People talk about the second coming of Christ, and Jesus said that. He said, when my coming is, people will be walking around buying and selling and marrying and, and doing their thing. He says, you will not know, but, but you will get a sense of my coming. You will get a sense, just the way I came the first time, in the same way the prophets will begin to sense it. Unique. Are we living in those times again? You know, it says... Again, like with Daniel, he was seeking, he was searching, he was yearning. In the same way, we're yearning, we're seeking. But after a time, we can become worn out. We can become um, lazy a little bit. And just like the people who began to forget that their Messiah was going to come, now it was a reality. Folks, no other time in history, in human history, do we find prophetic things in the book of Revelation and Thessalonians and the book of Daniel lining up like they're lining up now. But that's just for free. That's one for you to think, think on. Perhaps we'll come back to that. So there they are. They knew from the prophets that the Messiah was to be born. And again, the Jews after, the, after Christ's coming, they know and are disturbed by Jesus' whole story. It, it just upends Jerusalem to, to the point where it, the city is completely destroyed in 70 A.D., and as a result, they never want to hear that name Jesus again. They don't even like to speak it to this day. And as a matter of fact, in their Masoretic text, in their own Hebrew Old Testament, they've made some unique changes, changes that you and I wouldn't catch. But if you do with a little bit of study, you'll find out, hmm, I see what's going on here. You've pulled Jesus away from being the king. You've taken Jesus away in his connection to King David so that if anyone were ever to press the Jews today, they would take away his messianic connection. And that's, that's what they did. You have to go to the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, to actually find that it's all there. Because the Septuagint was a translation of a much older Hebrew translation. Can't take it away. Can't change it. It's all there. Jesus is Rightful connection to the throne of David on both sides. All there, black and white, not changed. That star and that coming of Jesus still disturbs people to this very day. We know in the story they come and they, they go and they find Bethlehem and the story makes it... it, it the star becomes more specific than the time that they were coming from the east. They leave Jerusalem. The star comes to land right over the top of Bethlehem, seemingly right over where Jesus is actually born. They follow it like it's, a, like it's a compass, and it takes them right to baby Jesus. And then they do something extraordinary. 
these guys who probably are very, very wealthy, very, very influential, very, very, uh, you know, we know from the gifts that they give that they're, they're, again, they're wealthy and discerning. And they have visited kings. They have been in the presence and the company of kings. And then they come to this poor young couple who've had this little baby out in the middle of nowhere. And what do they do? They come and they worship him. They bend their knees, and they worship a little baby. And then they do something extraordinary. They, they put their money where their mouth is. They put their money where their heart is. They know he's a king because his story is written in the stars. And they do something to show an incredible amount of commitment. we got to know that this wasn't just, well, maybe he is. We've come all this way. Why don't we just go ahead and do it? No, no, no. The commitment is let's give gifts to him. Let's celebrate him. And what makes... This story is so powerful. It's, it is so like God to do something that would not have been celebrated in the way we would have celebrated. It wasn't on the nightly news. It wasn't recorded. It wasn't done in such a fashion that, that people would gather around and, and poke in. No, it was done with, with the unlikeliest couple in the unlikeliest little city. And yet these wise men found him. Why? Because they're seekers because they seek wisdom. It's because they're not going to miss out on what God is doing. And I'll tell you what, we've got a lot to learn from these guys. We go on with, so they give their, their uh, gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? And certainly you've heard this before. If you're thinking in terms of what this little family would have needed, well, as we know, they're persecuted. They're going to, they're, you know, Herod is going to kill a bunch of children and they get out of there just in time. Lots of babies, two years and younger, are all murdered because that's what Satan does. He kills babies. They get out of there just in time and get down there to Egypt and now they're displaced. They can't go back to Nazareth where they're from. They actually go to a land that is not their own. So what are they going to need? Well, they're going to need money. And God provides them money, gives them gold. And then the frankincense and myrrh. You probably know that frankincense and myrrh, even though they were used to, uh, uh, as a way of per per perfume and whatnot, they were much more than that. They were med medicinal. They were antibiotic. They were antiseptics. So God thought of everything, didn't he? Made sure they had what they needed to live on and then to take care of this little baby if he ever got sick or was subjected you know, he wasn't old enough to heal himself quite yet. Oh, man, I'm not feeling good. Hey, no, that's good. You think about that after Jesus was walking. Anyway, we won't go there. So God thinks of everything, doesn't he? And it's such a practical part of that. We just get stuck on, wow, they just gave these wonderful gifts. Well, they were wonderful gifts, and they were gifts that you would give a king because, you know, even if they didn't use all the frankincense, they could have sold it. You remember what, what the Bible says about what they poured over Jesus' feet? It said that could have been what? A year's wages. So this was expensive stuff. Not only could it be used for him, but also sold and to care for them. No doubt. Now, the wise men continue to be wise. And after they discover him, most certainly you and I would have said, hey, let's go tell the world. Let's go tell everyone what we have just seen. But the angel comes and says, no, don't do it. Because if you go back and tell Herod, he's going to try. He'll know. and he'll, He's got a, a demonic um, uh, mission to destroy the work of God. So it's not going to happen. 
because it's written in the stars, because it's in the heart of God. It's in the plan of God. God's plans cannot. They can be maybe co-opted a little bit. Maybe they can be delayed just a little bit. But in the end, God's will, God's plan, God's purpose is going to happen. And so in a very simple little move, an angel says, hey, don't go back and tell them. You guys go back another way. And that's what they do. And so this young family and this beautiful little baby, son of God, are taken away into a place where they can be safe and Jesus can grow up. Herod dies and all those who had ever been a part of that scheme had all passed away and Jesus was able to go back to Nazareth and we know the rest of the story. We study the rest of the story the rest of the year. So folks, what's our takeaway today? Well, seekers going to seek. What we need today, folks, are people who are continuing to seek him, to seek what it is that God is doing. God has always been interested in the prophetic sign, even though Jesus said that. You're always looking for a sign. But God, even though God has, even though you know, we continue to ask for one, that doesn't mean that God doesn't continue to show them. He does. The story is still written in the stars. He still sent his Holy Spirit that still moves in powerful ways. The Holy Spirit still moves through us. He still shows signs and wonders in the local church by the laying on of hands and seeing them recover. He still shows signs and wonders through obedient people of God who will hear the prophetic voice of God and speak it, who will read the word of God and find a revelation and walk in it. All of this is still ours. God is still doing this even now. Because, folks, look, God's plans are so big they're written in the stars and announced by angels. And here's the best part of it, folks, is that we're a part of that story. We're absolutely a part of that story. And that's what I'm going to press you right now here to, to encourage you. That when we celebrate Christmas, a lot of times we do so when we step back and we just look at it as a historical event. When the truth of the matter is, you're a part of the historical event, Christian. And, and don't tell me that you don't think that way, because I know you do. That we think in terms that there is this displacement, there, there was just this event, and now there is this pregnant pause, there is this, this time of nothing, that, that we just kind of languish in this understanding of the story, that we just celebrate Christ, Christmas, and it's just, you know, and all of its little trappings and some of the parts of it that I don't like at all, but there are lots of parts of it that I absolutely adore. But the truth is, not enough of us understand what took place and what we're supposed to do the rest of the time, what we're supposed to extract from this story. Again, we see it in these magi. Jesus, much later in his ministry, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, says this. He shares a secret that I'll expound upon here just for a second. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So Jesus is sharing something. He's saying, look, the reality is that God has got a plan, and God is doing something. God has even committed enough to put it in the stars, which tells us that it's always been in his heart. The providential 
sovereign heart of God. And Jesus is saying, look, the truth of the matter is that seeking does not really change the heart of God. And I know you think that way, that when you pray and when you look at this verse, that you think you have to twist the arm of God to get him to like you. That you're having to twist the arm of God to get him to want to be a part of your life or to bless you in any way. I know you think that way because most Christians do. That we think that we get into this, this situation where we have to beg God, that we have to live a perfect life in order to qualify to get just a, a little drip of God's goodness and favor. You know, we're just, we're just like, you know, like Oliver in this story. Please, Father, may I have a little more. That we're all just in this, this big workhouse of life, and we just barely make it, barely make it through life. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. Jesus saying, look, God loves you. My daddy loves you enough that he sent me. And what's cool is how the Greek is written here is it's seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Ask and keep on asking. Again, what I believe is taking place when we pray these things is that God is changing our heart. We're not changing his. How could he change his? when he's been committed before time to write the story already. Oh, and this is confirmed beautifully in the scriptures. Romans chapter 8, verses 28. All things work for what? Good. If Paul thought there was an option, he would say, you know, sometimes it works out for your good. Mm -mm. All things work out for your good. For Wait a minute. What does it go on to say? For those who are called according to his purpose. That's me and you. Next week, we're going to find out that the angels told the shepherds something connected right to this. Right to this. Called according to his purpose. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. Paul brings it home. He says, we are blessed in the heavenly realms. Oh, so it is written in the stars. So it is up there. It is something God intends me to have. It is something that is waiting for me to get unlocked. See, our view of God is that he's an absent-minded God up there, and he forgets you from time to time. And on Christmas Day, he's like some of us who's like, oh, crud, I forgot to buy you something. Better get on Amazon. No, 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 no. Two-day delivery. Boop, go. Hope it gets here in time. That's the way most of us think of our God is that he's an absent-minded, and we got to beg him. Or that he goes, and when God does show up in my life and in my prayer life, he turns to his bag and says, well, let me just see what I got here. Hmm. I've given all the good stuff away. There have been a lot of people that have got to you ahead of me, uh, to me ahead of you. So all I've got left is this. A pair of socks, clean underwear. Emphasis being on clean. God has only one plan for you and me. Only one plan. That is to love you. That is to bless you. That is to help you find what you're looking for. That when you knock on the door, he's going to be there waiting for you. So the deal is this. When you ask, seek, and knock, when you are pressing the heart of God, guess what? Your heart is being expunged of doubt. That's really what's going on. The more I ask, the more I change. I'm not changing him. 
How do I change an immutable God? I'm the one who's changing. And here's the truth. The more we pray, the more we seek, the more we knock, the more we ask, the more we unlock the good that he intends, the more we unlock what he has waiting for us up in heaven like a huge trap door just pregnant, just ready to be poured out into my life. Truth is, so many of us spend so much of our energy looking for blessing in all the wrong places. And that's usually because of our doubt. That's usually because of our fear. That's usually because of our condemnation. That is usually because of just wrong stinking thinking. But when you know he loves you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't come to condemn it. He came to save it. And God did the most wonderful thing by sending a little tiny baby. And who can reject the baby? And you got to know the the Magi felt that when they walked up and said, this God of the Jews, he's pretty remarkable. They would do it this way. So there's no other choice but to bow our knee to the baby and to give him our very best. What gifts can we possibly give to God today? Except Romans chapter 12. Our whole body. Our whole life. That's our worship. That's our gift for Christmas to God. Can't wrap anything. You can't buy him anything. You can't do anything other than to just say, I am yours. I belong to you. And Lord, as a result of that, I know you've got spiritual blessings for me ready to unpack, to pour out into my life. And why? For his purpose. See, the truth is so many of us live purposeless lifestyles that we're not connected to what is our plan. And that is the wonderful thing about Christmas that I really derive the most energy from when I think of it, and not the man in the red suit. It's that fact that God has always loved me. And he loves me right now. And he will continue to love me. And he's got a plan for my life. And just like he wonderfully planned out what he did in saving mankind, he's got a plan for me. i got to get busy finding out what it is. I need to listen to God. I need to walk with God. I need to ask, seek, and knock so that God will open up his wonderful bag of blessings and goodies and favors and opportunities. Seekers got to seek. persistence and perseverance expunges the heart of doubt. And that's what Jesus was trying to get across. He says, look, you need to be persevering. You need to to pursue because it's going to change your heart. The more you push through, the more you trust him. He says, hope will never disappoint you. And that's the wonderful thing. By persevering and then finally seeing God come through, that your faith really changes. It leaves you with a sense of God knowing. It's a fuller, more mature understanding and hope. They were on a journey. Well, my last point in there is God fully intends to satisfy the hungry heart. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I'll say it here and go on record, that I believe before Christ comes again that every science, every science, will prove not only prove the existence of God, but will absolutely show that the gospel is clear, true, and happened just as Jesus said, Jesus, just as Jesus lived it. And it's interesting. I keep an eye on that. Archaeology, 
I teach my sons how to study archaeology and to stay up on what they're discovering and what they're finding. I'm teaching them. It was just in the news the other day. Newscaster got on there and he said, hey, we just found out that, you know, geneticists are starting to discover that, that mankind could be tracked down to just two people. Imagine that. Well, I've kind of known that for a long time. Can I tell you about this book called the Bible? It's all in there. Yeah. And it's going to keep coming, folks, to where I believe that in the end time, I mean, when Jesus, just before Jesus comes, that every human being who decides not to give their life to Christ will just say, look, I know what you say. I just choose not to believe. We're almost there now. They also were on a journey, and what a wonderful journey it was. And it speaks into our life the commitment, the determination, the persistence to have to go through the Arabian desert to turn all, you know, to, to leave their life behind, just like the nativity kind of shows, that they must have had to suffer to do what they did. And it would have taken a long time for them to get there. It couldn't take a plane, a bus, or a train. They had to go on camels took them quite some time, and they followed the star. Our example is, folks, we need to keep our eye on the star. And what does the star represent? God's message to you. God's love for you. God's the specific call to you to follow him. Didn't Jesus say the same thing? He didn't say follow a star. What did he say? Follow me. And was not Jesus at the bottom of the star? Didn't the star point to the baby? All now grown up, and he says, follow me. That's the rest of the story, following him. And he's got a journey for you and me. Their gifts, Christmas is, again, is all about the gift giving, and rightly so. God gave us the greatest gift. The Magi give their gifts knowing that they were participating with God's plan, that an interest <clears throat> and affection they were concerned about God's purpose and the welfare of this baby. They were all in, as we should be all in. Their example to us is, folks, if we're going to be Christians, let's be Christians. If we're going to be a part of the church, the ecclesia, called out ones, called out of the world, focused on bringing forth the gospel to all the nations of the earth, to be able to walk in the ways of Jesus, enduring persecution, but yet in the midst of that, continuing to prosper. But we got to be all in. All in. That's what we've learned from the wise guys. That's what we've learned from these magi. And I'll finish with this verse here in Ephesians chapter 3. See, the wise and the learned among us must understand the mystery. See, this mystery is foolishness to those who are not seeking it. The story is just fantasy for those whose heart is hard. But let the wise and the learned know that God has shown his incredible commitment. That God has come in a simple way. That God has come and has shown his love to all mankind. And this is the mystery I'm getting ready to read to you. And you're going to be interested in this. Ephesians 3. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, who's that? 
It's me and you, unless you're Jewish. It's the rest of us. See, did you know that before Jesus came, the only ones going to heaven were Jews? The only ones who could achieve favorable status was walking in the law flawlessly. Not me and you. But the mystery is this, is that God has opened the door wide. Let's keep reading. That the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. You know, on that day that baby, the baby Jesus was born, everybody all just thought he was only their baby. We have come to learn he's our baby too. We have come to learn that as Gentiles, this is the mystery. The wisdom of God was shown in his promise ages ago, fulfilled in the birth of Christ, and the life, the ministry, death, and resurrection, and the return of his dear son. For who? For me and you. Paul spends his whole life communicating to Gentiles, this is your story too. So folks, we've got a promise. We were given a prophecy. God sent a prophet, John. Then God sent his progeny, his son, Jesus. Then God gave us a purpose to share this story to everyone in the world and to remind us all that we are now his people. Amen? Let's stand up this morning. You've been listening to Valley's podcast. Valley Community Church is located at 1215 Julian R. Allsbrook Highway in Weldon, North Carolina. We invite you to attend one of our Sunday morning services at 830, 10, or 1130 a.m. Visit us at valleychurch.us or our Valley app for more information about our ministry.